Welcome in everyone to the Batflip Podcast. My name is Damien here with Matt. And today we got, I believe, what what do we count? 23 moves to, to at least talk or mention about. We are going to go over the winter meetings. Uh, that was last week. And then we've had a flurry of moves that's happened since the winter meetings. Um, but before we get into that, Matt, how are you doing? And uh, you know, what was your overall take of the kind of the winter meetings, even though they were a little slow? And then what's kind of happened so far since? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, just, uh, I've had a, had a solid week. Um, the, my takeaway on that has been just, I mean, everything was moving extremely slow because I think, you know, a lot of teams and players for that matter, were waiting on to see what Otani was going to do. Um, you know, obviously players aren't going to, going to want to sign unless they're blown away. Um, if, uh, you know, if there's other teams in the market still, you know, that, that, that would be in the market for them. Uh, that aren't really that are kind of tied up with something else, and then of course the teams that were involved in, you know, the Otani uh, signing were focused on that. So um, definitely, uh, definitely slow, slower winter meetings than you would, you know, sometimes get. Um, there were some moves, uh, some really interesting moves. Uh, there's still a pretty good amount left to go here in this off season. A lot of lot of moves left to be made, but uh, you know, it was it was a pretty interesting couple weeks. Um, uh, let's get it, get, get into it. Cause we've got a, got a lot of them. Yeah. I, um, so obviously we had the big move that's happened since that we recapped on our last show with Shohei Otani signing, which kind of broke the market open at that point. But, uh, you know, let's go ahead and start with the, the real signings that happened kind of during the meetings. And first off, these are going to be in order of how they signed. We're going to go through all the signings and then to the trades at the second point. But um, so first off, the Reds made a couple pitching moves, and that is signing Emilio Pagan to a two-year $16 million contract with an opt-out. And then also signing starting pitcher Nick Martinez to a two-year $26 million deal with an opt-out as well. Yeah, um, to start off, um, you know, the Reds were in desperate need of pitching both in the rotation and in the bullpen. And uh, Emilio Pagan's actually really weird. If you look at his uh, metrics uh, and his, his, his numbers from the last few years, um, you know, he was with San Diego and then he got traded to Minnesota. And I believe that was in the – I think it was with it was with Chris Paddock, and I forgot what deal that was for, for the Padres. But, um, um, I'll look it up real quick. Yeah. So anyways, but he, um, he got traded there and, you know, he, he was, he was interesting. He's got, he gets a lot of strikeouts, um, or at least he has at times. Was that Taylor Um, Rogers, by the way? The Taylor Rogers move. Okay. So he, he got a, in 2022, you know, 12 strikeouts per nine was awesome. His ex-fip was a 326, but he had a high ERA. He's been giving up a lot of home runs throughout his career. But then this year was like the opposite. Like he was, his strikeout rate was way down. His walk rate was down a little bit, but he, and he had a pretty low ERA, a 299 ERA, but his, you know, his peripherals, his FIP was pretty low because of the home run luck, but he had a high X FIP, uh, you know, hit the ball, get hit pretty hard, a lot of fly balls off of him. So definitely interesting, um, you know, two years, 16 million. That's a, that might be a little bit high uh, for me, especially with having the opt out in there. Um, 
but uh, you know the the bullpen arms the prices are going up on those, and they have been for a while. So uh, definitely a guy who uh, you know could help the Reds for sure. And then Nick Martinez is a guy that you know he can start or pitch out of the bullpen. Um, you know, and he, he had a pretty good year this year, and then really the last two years since he came back from I believe he was in Korea. He was in either in Korea or Japan. Uh, he was in you know overseas for for a few years to kind of you know, rejuvenate his career. But, um, you know, since he's come back, he's, he's made a lot of appearances, you know, he's made about 10 starts in the last two years, um, or, uh, you know, each of the last two years. And then, you know, his, his number's pretty good. I mean, a, a 392 fifth this year, a 343 ERA pitched to 110 innings. Uh, just, he'll be a guy that can kind of slide into the back end of a rotation. He gives you a much better floor than what the Reds had last year. You know, they really struggled, you know, just, it seemed like every fifth day they were running somebody out there who was just not a big league pitcher. And, and now you've, you've got a guy who you can be pretty comfortable running out there most, you know, as a starter, a pretty decent amount that is not going to be a disaster. So uh, definitely I like, I like that move a lot. Um, you know, two for 26 with an opt out. Like I said, I, I don't know if I love the opt outs. Um, you know, if you're going to go 13 million for Nick a year for Nick Martinez, but um, it kind of takes away a little bit of the upside of the deal, but it definitely helps them with these two moves. Yeah, Martinez has actually fared really well as a starter, um, especially this past year compared to a reliever. Um, as, as a starter this year, 232 ERA, and as, as a reliever, a 412 ERA. Um, don't have all the expected numbers, but as a reliever, you know, 273 average against compared to a 183 as a starter. So uh, don't know what that actually, you know, why that's the way it is, but he's actually, if he, if he gets a chance to start, uh, I like that deal a lot. Uh, and then Emilio Pagan, I've never been a big fan of his. Uh, he always seems to have a solid season and then kind of blows up. I mean, his past three seasons before this year where he was his, his, you know, his ERA looked good, but even his expected numbers were not that great. Um, you know, he had a 443 ERA and a 421 FIP. The expected number, expected ERA was 391 that year. Other years it's in the mid fours. So I, I don't love that deal, especially going to one of the more hitter friendly ballparks there, but Hey, I mean, the Reds just needed some pitching in general. Um, and these are both guys that, you know, could potentially be flip options at the, uh, at the deadline, uh, for a team, maybe wanting to go, you know, with the, the ability to have an opt out there. So, uh, so let's move over to our next one. And that was with the New York Mets signing, uh, former Yankees starting pitcher, Luis Severino to a one year, $13 million deal. Yeah, Luis Severino is the guy that, you know, you're kind of looking at the upside there. Um, at times, he's been a really good pitcher. You know, look, look back at 2017, 2018, uh, put up over five and a half war both seasons, uh, 193 innings in 2017, a 298 ERA. Um, you know, he was legitimately like a Cy Young candidate for a couple years there. And then the injuries hit. And, you know, between 2019 and 2021, he barely pitched at all. And the last two years have been a little bit, better he's pitched a, a decent amount of innings the last couple of years but you know he's still I mean 102 innings then 89 innings he's still been bit by the injury bug a little bit and you know in 2022 he showed some encouraging signs you know he wasn't quite back to that 2017-2018 form but he was pretty good uh to 318 ERA his peripherals were a little bit higher than that but the stuff seemed to be back his velocity was back and this past year just everything seemed to go wrong for him it was weird. It was bizarre how hard he was getting hit that he had never been hit like that in his career. So, 
and I, I honestly don't think his stuff is that bad. It, it didn't seem like the stuff was terrible. I mean, there were there might have been some issues with 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 it, but the velocity was still there. Like it, it was just weird to see him get hit so hard last year. Only pitched eighty nine innings. I think he got D, did he get DFA'd? I, I don't think he got DFA'd, but I don't think he did. Um, he he was basically like a non factor. You know, the second half of the season for the Yankees. So, um, you know, the Mets keep him in New York and they probably feel like that they definitely need pitching and they feel like you might as well run this guy that's got a lot of upside out as your number five starter to start the season. And if it doesn't work out, then maybe you can, you know, figure something else out. It, it's just one of those things where it, it definitely has some upside. I mean, one for 13, I guess that's kind of the going rate for starting pitchers right now that are just kind of fifth starters is, you know, around one to 10, one a year. 10 to 15 million, um, which is, it just seems, that seems high, but I guess with his upside, he probably did have some other suitors. So, um, you know, we'll see what happens with him. It's one of these things that we could look back at the end of the year uh, and, and see like, oh my God, the Mets got a steal out of Luis Severino, or it's just going to be 13 dead million dollars of dead money at some point. So, um, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Yeah, I mean, you have to take a chance uh, on Severino, especially if you're the Mets, who like their starting pitching depth is like non-existent right now. Um, projected per fan graphs right now, Severino's their number three starter behind Kodai Senga and Jose Quintana. And then you have Tyler McGill and Joey Lacasey in the starting rotation. And your kind of other depth guy you'd have was Drew Peterson, and he just had hip surgery in November, and we're not sure when he's going to be back this next season, if at all. Um, So you kind of have to take something. They're not done in the rotation. So, you know, hopefully that they, they get some other guys in there because you don't want to go into the season, hoping that Severino, you know, especially battling the, the injuries that he has previously and then how bad he was last year. Um, You don't want him being your number three starter. So, but this is kind of going right. And the upside is there. So it's not terrible if it ends up working out, but, and there's no such thing as a bad one-year deal at the end. So uh, let's move over to a extension that we had happen though. And this is one for a guy who's never played in the MLB before. And it's Jackson Churio uh, signed an eight year, $82 million extension does have two club options for 2032 and 2033 uh, for 25 million a year. Both of those seasons, those will be his age 28 and 29 seasons estimated that the with some escalators and all of that in the deal the max could be 10 years 142 and a half million dollars yeah this is a this is a really cool cool deal and this is the type of thing that some of these smaller market teams have to do um to keep their players around because this is very risky because there's a chance that jackson churio doesn't you know just ends up not being the guy he's he's advertised as his prospect i mean he's young there's always variance with prospects even guys that you feel like are you know the best prospect in baseball you you occasionally see them not do well so it is a risky signing but if you're going to ever keep one of these types of players around for you know eight nine ten years you have to do things like this if you're the brewers so um, you know, it's a guy that I think that they believe in and, you know, he also is taking on, he's getting, he's probably leaving money off on the table if, if he performs as, as people kind of think he will. But at the same time, he's going ahead and locking up the generational wealth of, you know, $80 million minimum. Um, you know, that's, that's kind of the thing that these kids that, that are coming up, like, 
that's enticing to them because I mean tomorrow he could get hurt and if he didn't take that then he would never you know never get anything out of baseball money wise so um you know definitely good for him I mean a, a young kid I think he's just what 20 20 yeah. um yeah he just got paid 82 million dollars like, he's not even yeah 20. I mean, he's a teenager, and he just got guaranteed eighty-two million dollars. I mean, that's pretty yeah. awesome for him. Even if, even if he could, you know, in, in five years, leave a little bit of money on the table. And then, of course, the Brewers get a guy that they believe could be like an MVP caliber player locked up to what could end up being a team-friendly deal. Um, and you know, we've seen this from some other teams at times with young players, but this is obviously kind of un- uncharted territory for a guy who hadn't even made his major league debut. I mean, we saw it with, you know, we saw it with the Braves a bunch with some of their young guys. We saw it with, uh, with Corbin Carroll last year, getting get that big deal, um, you know, with just a few weeks of service time, but this one's, this one's pretty crazy. And, um, you know, we'll see if it works out. I'm, I'm excited to see what Jackson Churio looks like at the big league level next year too. Yeah. I think what makes it even crazier is this is a guy who has six games in triple a. He yeah. he played this season at Double A, 122 games was really good. 280 average, 336 on base, a 112 WRC plus, 22 homers, 43 steals. Like was just just fine. I mean, at the age of 19, doing that Double A, I mean, that's fantastic. Um, but he's immediately getting added to the 40 man roster, and you know you expect him to be up on opening day or, or really close thereafter. I mean, I could see them potentially putting him down in Triple A just for a little bit more seasoning for maybe a month or so. But this is a guy that you're going to have to count on. Um, yeah. And it is cool. I mean, it is young, but we're talking about a guy who, it, even if both of those team options are, you know, picked up, he's hit entering the free agent market, like age 29, getting ready to turn 30. And he would already have got 140 or at least $82 million. Um, and at that point, I guess 132 million, if both of those teams op- team options are picked up, um, which that, that's a big deal um, to have that you know, money already within your pocket. So a uh, big deal for the Brewers. Like you said, it's something they have to do and it's a big deal for Jackson Churio. And I hope it works out for both sides because this is a, an option that you could see a lot of teams start doing more and more if they continue to work out. Um, teams will be more open to it. And I think prospects would be more open to doing this as well. So uh, let's move over to another one, which was the Dodgers re-signing Joe Kelly to a one-year, $8 million deal. And because of our episode on uh, Saturday, he's going to need a new number this year. Yeah, um, I, I, I like this deal for the Dodgers. Joe Kelly's a guy that's been around a long time now, uh, and he's still really good. Um, you know, he has dealt with some injuries over the last few years. But, uh, you know, when he's pitched, he's still been pretty good. I, his walks have been up a tiny bit. Um he actually had a, a, a six ERA in 2022 with the White Sox, but his peripherals were way better than that. And this past year, 2023, you know, he had sub three FIP, sub three X or a 261 X FIP, which is insanely good. Uh, and he had a 412 ERA, which is way higher than his peripherals show. And, and you know, it's kind of one of those sample size for a reliever type things, I think. But uh, gets a ton of ground balls and gets a ton of swing and misses. And that's what you look for in any pitcher. So, um, you know, it's it, that's a good combination. And, and he does walk a few too many guys, but he's a reliever. And he, it's not an astronomical walk rate. So uh, still throwing really hard. He, his, his velocity was actually way up this year over what it was in 2022. Uh, and you know, he's been with the Dodgers before and he, he likes pitching for the Dodgers. And, and I really think this is a pretty cheap contract. And, you know, he's 36, which 
you know, it means he's probably going to not be good for three or four more years. But for one year, I think you can bet on him having a at least a. I think you can bet on him pitching at the talent at the quality that he's pitched last few years and hope that the results come with it like they should because he is a better pitcher than a 6 ERA and then a 4 ERA. He's just been a little bit unlucky the last couple of years. So uh, definitely like to steal for the Dodgers. I mean, you look at the other relievers too. Like, I mean, I'd, I'd rather have Joe Kelly 1 for 8 than Emilio Pagan 2 for 16 with an opt-out. Like, yeah. For sure. Yeah. Kelly's stuff is, is just – it's still – just as good as it's ever been, if not better. Um, but it's the risk because you know he's most likely not going to stay healthy. He's going to miss a month or maybe two months at a time. You know, at some point in the season, you're hoping to get 40 to 45 innings and hope that he's healthy kind of on your playoff push um, into the postseason there. Uh, because the stuff is electric, loses command at times, um, can absolutely dominate when he's on. But, um, you know, I think it's for a team that has those aspirations. This is a perfect contract. Uh, for a guy who, you know, I, I listened to, he was on one of the, the Dodgers podcasting. He's from Southern California. He doesn't want to leave ever again. So he says he hopes to just continue signing these one-year deals with LA. Um, I think this is just kind of the the start of that. And you saw his, he got kind of rejuvenated when he came over from the White Sox to the Dodgers last year. I don't see any reason why that can't just continue. So, um, so the next one we wanted to do was just kind of mention this one. I didn't really deep dive into it you will be able to tell a little bit more matt but that's that the uh the rangers signed kirby yates to a one-year 4.5 million dollar deal yeah um kirby yates it was a brave last year so i was watched him an awful lot and um i mean this is a guy that back in for a couple years there it was awesome like 2019 kirby yates had one of the best reliever seasons in the last several years a 119 era in 60 innings uh, 14.9 strikeouts per nine, 1.9 walks per nine, uh, a 130 fit. Like, he was really good in 2019. Uh, but, you know, he's dealt with injuries since then. He only pitched four innings in the short 2020 season, had Tommy John surgery. He signed with the Braves in 2022, coming back from Tommy John, and he ended up pitching for just a few innings at the end of the season. Uh, and then this past year, he, he pitched a full season, uh, 60 innings, and – the swing and miss stuff was still kind of there some, but he his command was just way, way, way wildly different from what it has had been in the past. He he couldn't control the strike zone at all, uh, and he gave up a lot of home runs too because his, his just overall control and command wasn't great. He's not a guy who can pitch in the middle of the zone and not give up home runs because it's just you know his fastball is kind of straight and it's ninety three like. Uh, he does still have a great splitter, so I, I'd say what the Rangers see in him, it's not a really big contract, but you know the Rangers need to rebuild their bullpen a little bit, and um, I just don't know if Kirby Yates is going to be the guy that can do it. I mean, he's fine to have on your roster as like a you know as a middle reliever, you know that comes in if your starter doesn't make it out of the fifth inning, you know. But I, I just I don't think that he's. I, I'm kind of surprised he got a big league deal to be honest. Uh, even though he did have a 3.28 ERA last year, but it was, I think a lot of that was smoke and mirrors a little bit. So, uh, good luck to him. I really like Kirby Yates. I think he's a really good guy, but I just don't know if this is going to work out very well for the Rangers. Yeah, I mean they just kind of they've lost some some pieces in that bullpen, um, and they just kind of need some arms in there. And we saw what they were able to do with a guy like Josh Bores, who wasn't good in the regular season and he was good in the playoffs. I mean. You never know. They could find find something there. It's a one year deal, like I said. It's cheap, so 
not a bad option overall. Um, but the next one, which is a really interesting deal to me that I wanted to talk about, is that the Chicago White Sox signed Eric Fetty to a two-year, $15 million deal. Um, coming back over from the KBO, uh, 180 innings last year, re- reworked his pitch mix. And I believe he won the their equivalent of the Cy Young and maybe even the equivalent of the MVP over there, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know. I know he won their equivalent of the Cy Young for sure. Yeah, he um, was he was very good for them. Um, you know, I, I like this move for the White Sox. I mean, this is a guy who, you know, with with the Nationals, he he wasn't great, but you know, at times he seemed like a big league pitcher. He's a former, top, I mean, he wasn't a top one hundred prospect, but he was a pretty high rated prospect in the Nationals organization. He was kind of on the cusp of being a top one hundred guy when he came up. So there's there's there is some talent there. Um, you know, he just struggled at times in, in, in the big leagues um, for, for Washington and, you know, went, went over to Korea and just dominated last year in, in the KBO. So, I mean, I, I think it's a good signing for the White Sox. It's a, kind of a buy low. It's the, it's the type of thing that a rebuilding team needs to do is to get a guy who has some upside on a fairly cheap contract. They're only paying him $7.5 million a year for a starting pitcher. We just saw what Luis Severino got. It was $13 million for one year. Um, you know, we saw what Nick Martinez got $26 million for two years. Like this is, this guy's kind of in that same realm of fifth starter types. And, um, you know, he's got some form of upside. You hope that maybe the adjustments he made in Korea were really good. And, you know, the White Sox can, can flip him at the deadline if they, if they, you know, if, if he pitches really well and they're completely out of it still. And, you know, he can, um, and he can go, um, or, or, or if if he doesn't do well, if it's just if he's kind of back to what he was in before this year, you know he's a he's a guy that can just eat some innings for a rebuilding team, and you know there's not a lot of downside to this deal. So I, I think I really like this move for the White Sox. Yeah, I mean, like you said, it's cheap. I mean, we last offseason they signed Mike Clevenger to a twelve year or twelve million dollar deal. Um, you know, Matthew Boyd got a ten million dollar deal and didn't hardly pitch this year, like. Fitty for seven and a half million is it's not a bad thing. And there might be some legitimate upside. Cause like I said, he went over there and reworked his entire arsenal. Like he went into the, the sweeper mold that people are starting to do now. And it actually looks really good. He, he just tweaked his, uh, his grip on his fastball and it has a little bit more spin to it now. Like he's made some really interesting changes that I will be, I'm going to be intrigued to see how they, you know, adjust to the major leagues now. Um, that could be, you know, really, really great deal overall. So, uh, the next one, which was a, a kind of smaller move, uh, which is the Astros signed Victor Carantini to a two-year, twelve million dollar deal uh, to be their backup catcher. Now that uh, Martin Maldonado's on the free agent market, um, so what do you think about that one? I, I really like it. I mean, the Astros have been playing Martin Maldonado a ton the last couple of years, and he's not very good. Uh, this past year, he was. Uh, one of the worst players in baseball and I know he's got you know that leadership quality but he's not very good defensively anymore and his arm is down some and and he just he's never hit so uh you know uh, they replaced him with a guy who you know he's he's a great backup catcher he can come in there he can he's a switch hitter so he can come in there and he can he can put up a maybe just a slightly below league average stat line at the plate and play good defense and control your pitching staff. I mean, he's been a designated catcher for some guys in the past. He definitely knows, you know, they definitely know what, um, 
you know, they definitely know what they're um, looking at there. And I, I mean, I, I think he's, you know, I, I think this is a great signing for the Astros. It's pretty cheap, only six million a year. That's about the going rate for backup catchers. Um, so we'll see what happens. But I, I like this move. Yeah, it's not too bad at all. Uh, so the next one was that the Orioles signed Craig Kimbrell to a one-year, $13 million deal to take that closer's role. Of course, we know that Felix Batista had to undergo Tommy John surgery late last year, so he's going to be out. Um, so for a team that was you know, one of the best teams in baseball last year, they're adding a closer to the back end of that. Yeah, I mean, Craig Kimbrell at this point of his career, he kind of is what he is. He's still okay. Um, but he's not anywhere near what he used to be. Uh, you know, he put up a uh, you know 3.26 ERA this year, but the peripherals weren't great. It was actually his worst year by the peripherals since 2020, which was the shortened COVID season. Um, so, you know, it, his his home run rate was way up. Um, you know, he still gets a lot of swings and misses. Maybe not what he used to do when he put up 16.6 or 17.4 strikeouts per nine in his rookie year. Um, so he's, he's not that guy anymore, but he's still a, a really solid, um, you know, solid bullpen arm and, you know, they get him for one year because with Felix Bautista being out, he should be back after this year. So, you know, that they won't need the closer anymore. He's got closing experience. I think they'd like to kind of have Yenny or Cano play a little bit more of a, um, versatile role and, um. You know, obviously, you know, Craig Kimbrell is one of the best pitchers of our generation as a reliever. And, um, you know, he's kind of winding down his career, but still veteran presence. And I think it's, you know, a fine signing. I I don't know if I would have given Kimbrell $13 million if you're a team that's kind of seems to not want to spend a lot of money. And I hope this doesn't limit the Orioles for making other moves that they need because they really need starting pitching too. Uh, But, you know, if it doesn't limit them, then there's no downside to a one-year deal. So. Yeah, I mean, and they have some money coming off the books. Like Kyle Gibson's contract's not there anymore, and they have a ton of uh, prospects they can make a trade for, um, for pitching noise as well. I mean, you kind of know what you're getting in Kimbrell now. He's going to be a guy who's going to give you a mid to to high kind of three-ish ERA. He's going to dominate at times. He's going to lose command and be bad at times. But he's still a very solid, solid major league player um, and, and good closer still. So... Uh, overall, for that Orioles team, especially for that young team, I mean, Kimbrell going there, I actually uh, I think it's a pretty solid deal. Uh, so let's move over to the Arizona Diamondbacks, and they signed Eduardo Rodriguez to a four-year, $80 million deal with an option for 20, 20 mil, so a total of five years, $100 million for Eduardo Rodriguez. Yeah, Eduardo Rodriguez is a guy that, um, you know, he, he was a really solid kind of mid-rotation signing and that's exactly what the Diamondbacks needed. They've got the two guys at the top of their rotation in, in Gallon and uh, and Merrill Kelly uh, that, that are both really, really solid there. But the, behind that, I mean, Brandon Fott showed out in the playoffs, but before that he was kind of up and down. He's young. Uh, you don't know if you're going to be able to rely on him. You feel hopeful that he's, you know, he kind of turned a corner late in the season and then in the playoffs that, that he can be a, a key piece for you. But Eduardo Rodriguez raises that floor because I mean, behind Brandon Fott, I mean, you had like, I think Joe Mantiply was starting playoff games for them. So it's just definitely a good move. Uh, Eduardo Rodriguez, he, he's been a really solid pitcher for, for a while now. Uh, in 2023, he put up a, you know, a, a 3.30 ERA in 152 innings. Uh, you know, a 3.66 FIP. He did deal with a tiny bit of injuries, 
but it wasn't terrible. He still put up 152 innings uh, before that with with Boston. He was really solid. Uh, had a couple of really nice years there. His peripherals have always been pretty good. He's just kind of your perfect. Like he's gonna have probably a high threes ERA. He's gonna pitch you a, a decent amount of innings. You know, you'd hope to get 160 innings out of him. And you know, I think he's a pretty solid guy. So. Uh, you know, four years, $80 million, uh, you know, that's not a bad deal, especially since you got a club option attached to that. Um, you know, I think teams might have probably balked at the fourth year. Other teams might have, but uh, still, I think that's fine for the Diamondbacks. And, uh, you know, they kind of shore up their rotation a little bit, make sure they have some some depth there after, after just really having just the two guys this year. Yeah, and – you know, for all the stuff that was made at the deadline about Eduardo Rodriguez, you know, videoing the deal to come to the Dodgers and not wanting to pitch on the West Coast, he lands with a team that's, you know, more towards Basically, the West Coast yeah. um, and will be playing a lot of their games there. So obviously the geography doesn't didn't matter. And I think if you could have picked a starting pitcher to kind of fit what the Arizona needed, it's basically Eduardo Rodriguez. I mean, I think this is a perfect fit there. He slots in, like you mentioned, right behind Merrill Kelly, right in front of Brandon Fott, and maybe even, I mean, depending on how Fott does, those two might even flip, um, just depending on how, how it goes. But he's going to be a solid presence there. He's going to... He he's going to give you good innings. I mean, this year before the the finger injury, he was he had like a, a high two ERA, I think, or um, he really struggled after that finger injury, which was on his pitching hand, and he kind of rushed back a little bit from that, um, even there. But um, it, it's just a really solid fit, and I think it makes a lot of sense for this Arizona team who needed some stability in the rotation, and that's exactly what he's going to be able to bring you um, and give you solid, consistent numbers every time out. Uh, so let's jump over to the Cincinnati Reds and they signed third baseman Jamer Candelario to a three-year $45 million deal. Uh, there is an option there. I don't know what the value is on it, but, um, you know, Candelario is going to come in. I think they even said they're going to try to play him at some at second base potentially, but more, probably more of his time is going to be at first base. But, uh, Cincinnati already has a crowded kind of infield, but what do you, what do you think about them signing Candelario? Yeah, this was really interesting. I, I'm surprised. Um, first off, I, I, I do want to, you know, say the Reds definitely spending some money. Um, yeah, you know, I think that that's good for them. Uh, they they've got this young core, and they're they are trying to supplement it a little bit through the free agent market, which is which is nice to see. Um, you know, I, I think that I, I think this is a precursor move. I think they like Candelario. He had a really good year in 2023. Put up over three WAR. Uh, 117 WRC plus last year. I think this is a precursor to another move. They have so much depth on their infield already, and I think that they're going to end up moving another player at some point to try to get you know more of a bona fide starting pitcher. So I think that that's kind of what this move was for. Um, add some you know continue that stability in your lineup, and and then maybe maybe trade you know, a couple guys that you've got already for, for, for starting pitching. So definitely an interesting move. Candelario is a good player. I think he'll fit in pretty well there. I think it's actually a really good fit because they have, you know, he's not a guy that hits the ball overly hard, but he does make a pretty good bit of contact. And, you know, I think that maybe he could hit some home runs there in, in uh, the great American ballpark with that short porch and right field. So, um, you know, we'll see what happens with him, but it, it was, a, it was, I think it's a pretty solid deal and, uh, we'll see if he, um, we'll see what else the Reds might do here. Cause I do think that that probably means someone's getting traded. 
Yeah, I mean, it's been leaked that they're in trade rumors with um, or for Shane Bieber, Tyler Glass now, even a little bit into Dylan Cease. Um, so it would not be, you know, and also with them having Jonathan India, who's been a subject of trade rumors too. Um, if, if Candelario is going to play some more second base there, that leaves India without a spot. So um, I definitely think that they're going to be a team that's going to be active on that trade market, potentially with all the, the infield depth that they do have. Um, and it is really, really interesting, but glad to see them actually spending some money here this off season and trying to make some moves to upgrade that team. Uh, so let's kind of run through real quick, uh, a couple uh, smaller moves that we had happened. We mentioned Nixon Zell was a really interesting, um, candidate that got non-tendered from the Reds. He signed with the Nationals on a one-year, $2 million deal. Uh, the Tigers uh, brought back uh, left-handed reliever Andrew Chafin on a one-year, uh, $4.7 million deal with the team option there. Um, and then we'll get into, let's go to those two first, and then we'll jump to the the Royals moves. Yeah, well, Nick, Nick Sensel is a guy who's just been plagued by injuries his whole career. He was a top 10 overall prospect in baseball when he got called up by the Reds and just you know, struggled, had a lot of injuries, and, um, you know, I think there's still something there maybe, but it just wasn't going to work with the Reds, and, and the Nationals, you know, as a rebuilding team, they can bring him in, I mean, he's basically free, and, you know, hope they can rebuild him, and if he, maybe he figures it out a little bit, and they have had some success with a guy that's, you know, like like Lane Thomas, is a guy they had so much success with, um, that kind of in a similar mold um he wasn't a top prospect but it can maybe a similar ish profile uh but we'll see what happens i, I think that's a good move for the nationals just because there's no downside to it and and you could end up getting a return if it if it if it hits um and then the tiger signing andrew chafin he's an interesting one too he's he's had you know he had a down year in 2023 but the previous two seasons before that he was awesome uh, so, you know, it's a guy that he was with the Tigers in 2022 when he was, when he was really, really good, uh, put up a 283 ERA in 57 innings in 2022. So, uh, you know, last year was, a, was, it was not a great year, but they can bring him back and hope that he gets back to the ways that he was pitching when he was, when he was a, a Tiger, you know, a couple years ago. So, uh, and you get a team option and he's cheap. I mean, I'd, I'd rather have Andrew Chafin than uh, on that deal than Kirby Yates on the deal the Rangers signed. So I think that's a really good move. Yeah, and Chafin's peripherals with the Diamondbacks last year were good. And then when he went to Milwaukee, it just tanked from there. So um, it'll be interesting to see how he's able to bounce back. Uh, so let's go to the the flurry of moves that the Royals made within the last couple days. And that was signing left-handed reliever Will Smith to a one-year $5 million deal, which means they're going to win the World Series. Uh, Seth Lugo to a three-year $45 million deal this year or with an opt-out, I believe, after... 2025 so in two seasons and then also signing a relief pitcher chris stratton to a two-year eight million dollar deal yeah so um you know we can start off here with with will smith i mean the funny thing with will smith is as has been well documented he's won the last three world series 2021 with the, with the braves 2022 with the astros and 2023 with the rangers I, you know will smith's just not a great pitcher anymore um he's okay I mean, he put up a 440 ERA in 2023. Um, his peripherals were better than that. His peripherals were actually a little bit improved last year than they had been. But he gets hit pretty hard, gives up a lot of home runs. His home run luck was a little bit better this year. But, uh, you know, I think he's kind of a, a guy you can bring in as a lefty if you really need one. Um, 
he's kind of a little bit like what Brad hands been the last couple of years where it's like, you just do not want this guy facing a righty or a power bat. <laughs> but you know, if you got a kind of tough lefty, you can throw him, throw him out there as a funky guy who can, you know, he's got the big slider curveball to, to get some strikeouts and uh, get you out of jam. So I, I just, I don't think he's, I, I'm just not a big believer in, in him as a pitcher anymore. Although apparently he's a good luck charm. Um, you look at uh, Chris Stratton sticking with the bullpen here, and I mean he had he's a guy that had a pretty good year last year. Put up a 3.53 ERA, pitching a lot of innings, 82 innings as a reliever, so he could be kind of a, a multi-inning guy. Um, it's just nice to see you got him for two years and eight million dollars, which is a pretty good deal, I think. Um, you know, relievers are going for a lot more than that, and, and just four million a year for two years is is, is pretty solid. Uh, you know, especially for a guy that you know he's a career you know the last four or five years he's been fine um and then you look at um seth lugo is is the real big one here and you know seth lugo is interesting his market was was weird to me he he went back from being a reliever to a starter this year he had been a starter back when he first came up with the mets then they switched him full-time relief for a while uh, I think he was even their closer for a few games one year, but they brought him back in 2023, or the, the Padres brought him in in 2023 as a as a starter, and, and he pitched pretty well. Had a 3.57 ERA, um, you know, fit in the threes. Uh, he's got a great curveball, high spin rate. Um, you know, gets he gets a pretty good amount of swing and miss. Maybe not quite as much as a starter as he was as getting as a reliever, but uh, you know, he, he gets a lot of ground balls, forty five percent ground ball rate. Um, doesn't walk a lot of guys. You know, he's a pretty good looking. You know, back end of the rotation, maybe maybe not even back end, probably like a a four a four starter in your rotation. That you know, if he can stay healthy, um, which is kind of one of the things that that he. He has typically stayed healthy, but he's typically been a reliever too. So, um, you know, if he if he can maintain a, a higher enough workload as a starter, then I think that's a pretty good move for the Royals. He, I mean, if I was a playoff team, I would not be totally opposed to giving him a playoff start in, in like a you know in a, in a seven game series. Give him give him that one that you never know who it might go to. So, um, you know, I think he's a pretty solid pick up there, and obviously they can trade him. It is weird. I, I don't understand the. The Royals signing a fifteen million a year pitcher. Um, that that seems like a guy that would probably be better suited to be like a, a depth piece on a contender than be like, I guess, one of the top pitchers on the bad team. But um, I thought that was kind of weird. But they can always trade him if 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 things go well. So definitely definitely an interesting one there. Yeah, it was weird. That, like a thirty four year old pitcher going into a situation like that for fifteen million dollars a year. I mean, I guess if uh, he he probably had offers from other teams, contending teams. I mean, we heard that the the Padres looked to bring him back. The Dodgers were in on him. I think there was even some speculation the Braves might be in on him. Um, you know, he's a really good guy. If you you can get five good innings from Seth Lugo, if you try and push him much more through that, I think that's when the numbers really tail off. Um, looking at his. You know, his times through the lineup is a 2.15 ERA through the first time in 2023, a 3.21 his second time, and then the third time through a 6.82. Um, so once people find out the fastball curveball, you can trick him for probably two at-bats, but after that, you're not going to get much here. But it's a, it's a really affordable contract still. I mean, if like you said, this is a guy who can make a potential playoff spot here. I mean, I'd rather take Seth Lugo at $15 million than Luis Severino for 13 right now, um, just because I think you're going to get more guaranteed production with Seth Lugo at the moment um, and having the flexibility where 
you know, if he is, I mean, this is a, this is a starter deal. Don't get me wrong. But if, if the injuries do creep up, you can put him into the bullpen very easily and know that he's going to be successful in the role because he's done it before. Um, so I, I, it was a weird deal for the Royals and weird deal for Lugo going to the Royals here. But overall, I think the, the health of the deal is, is pretty solid. Uh, so let's go to one that dropped just today as we were, um, you know, I was getting off work, pretty sure you were probably at the gym or something, Matt, but that is that the giants finally got their, uh, their big ticket offensive weapon that they've been looking for in Jung Ho Lee. Yeah, this is a, um, this is an interesting one. And I think that, um, you know, I, I think that it's going to be difficult for me to, uh, to, to really like, I, it's going to be difficult for me to evaluate this one just because I don't know enough about Jung Ho Lee. Um, I think he's, it sounds to me like he's kind of one of those kind of contact bats. He's got some yeah. speed. He's pretty athletic, play the outfield. The power might be limited. Um, and I mean, six for one thirteen. that's a really big contract for a guy like that. Uh, especially coming over from, from Korea. I mean, you look at, we talked about for the show, it, you got, you know, Hassan Kim came over a few years ago and got like less than half of that. And, um, 25 million. I thought, I thought I got a little bit more than that, but was, I mean, 25 million. I mean, I, you know, I know times totally. have changed a little bit, but, yeah. you know, this is a big deal. I, and, and, and I mean, scouts really do like Jung Ho Lee. I mean, he was, he was very well, um, he, he was he, everyone. Everyone has said for a while that he was one of the better players to come out of Korea in a while. So, uh, you know, can he be a Shinsu Chu type? Then he's definitely worth that six for one thirteen. Could is he going to be, you know, something like I don't know, like uh, what was that? What was that guy that was with the Reds a few years ago from Japan? Shogo Akiyama. Akiyama. Yeah, is he going to yeah. be like that? You know, so that's the thing that um, you know you kind of look at here, but. I mean, it could work out. The Giants really need offense. They probably need some contact. Um, yeah. I think that he's, you know, it could work out for him. It's just hard for me to evaluate that one. Yeah, so he is coming off of an ankle surgery, too, which is going to hamper him a little bit to begin the season. Um, you know, he, like you said, he's a power speed, or not power, he's a, he's a contact speed guy, plays really good defense. He's had some power in the past. I mean, in 2022, he had 23 homers there um, and 15 before the, uh, in, in 2020 that year. But other than that is, you know, he's six, six, seven, six in his career. Um, you know, he might be able to develop a 10 to 15 kind of Homer thing. And once he gets to the major leagues and adjusts to the pitching and, and changes swing there. But, you know, I saw some people projecting what his, what type of player he would be like, um, you know, just on, uh, on X day and, and stuff for some people you, you trust in the scouting type thing. And they said, you know, his, what he kind of profiles as is a Brendan Donovan type, which we've seen as utility guy for the Cardinals, very solid player, but not sure he's worth 18 plus million dollars per year. Um, you know, probably more in the like $10 million ish range. Um, but I will say him going to San Francisco, I think is a great fit because that's a big park power or not power. Uh, he's not going to hit for much power anyways. Um, but he has a lot of contact speed, like, he can hit it all around that ballpark um, and play really solid defense there. So I'm going to be interesting to see, you know, they, they were ready to commit big money. It came out today that they offered Shohei Otani the same contract as the Dodgers. Um, you know, they've been in on the pitching market too. So they've been looking for that guy. They obviously had Correa and judge, 
you know, last year and basically got turned down for both of those one Aaron judge turned down and the doctors basically saying Correa's, you know, ankles are going to implode. So I'm interested to see how it actually turns out for the, uh, for the giants here. Uh, so another smaller move we had happened right before we got on was Pirates signed Raddy Tellez to a one year, $3.2 million deal. Uh, one thing that I found interesting about this, which we can just move on right after, is that Rowdy Tellez has played six years in the major leagues, and he's acquired a exactly 0.0 war. Uh-huh, so wow. you sitting at home has as much war as Rowdy Tellez has in six years in the major leagues. Uh, so let's move over to the trades now. I mean, I know we've already been going for 45 minutes, so we'll kind of yeah. speed through these as much as possible. But um the Braves made a trade with the Mariners, which was really interesting, acquiring Jared Kelenic, Marco Gonzalez, and Evan White. Marco Gonzalez, Evan White, both have already been flipped uh, to the Mariners going Jackson Kowar, which was their return for uh, Kyle Wright from the Royals, and uh, right-handed pitcher Cole Phillips. Yeah, so this move was basically the Braves buying uh, Jared Kelenic. Um, he's he's still an interesting player. Um you know, he's put up insane numbers in the minor leagues. He had a really, really rough start in 2021. 2022 was really, really, really rough. And last year he was better. Uh, he wasn't elite. He wasn't one of the better players in baseball, but he was better than he had been. Um, you know, in 105 games, he, he hit 253 with a 327 on base, a 419 slugging, a 108 WRC+. Plus. So he, he, he made some improvements. He put up 1.3 war. And, uh, you know, he's a guy that he was such a hybrided prospect. He was the number three prospect in baseball when he got called up um, that, you know, I think I think there's definitely some kind of talent there that may be untapped. I think the Braves see that he's under he's got a lot of control. He's got like five years of control left. So he's very cheap and there's a lot of upside to him. And the downside to him is just he, if he's just a platoon bat that hits up for some power but strikes out a lot, hits the ball really hard. Um, so I think that the Braves were willing to take on some, some money for that risk. And that's basically what Marco Gonzalez was. He was just a, a money dump. Um, and, and so was Evan White. I think the Braves took on maybe $20 million in the deal, um, something like that. And, you know, they flipped both of those guys. They, they flipped them with a little bit of cash involved to get Marco Gonzalez. They got a player to be named later. And I think Evan White, they got a couple pieces from the Angels that they've already traded. Um, and then, uh, you know, the Mariners get Jackson Coer, who we've talked about recently as he was the guy that the Braves got in the Kyle Wright trade. And I mean, just, he's got some form of upside with his stuff, but he's really struggled with his results. And Cole Phillips is kind of interesting. He's a guy that was a, I think he was the third round draft pick for the Braves. Like last year, he hasn't pitched yet because he had Tommy John surgery, but a lot of people really liked his stuff thinking he was really raw, but had great stuff before the surgery. So uh, that's a guy that maybe a good lottery ticket for the Mariners to get, but um, definitely, definitely interesting here. And, and we'll see the Braves had that hole in left field. I think they still probably will want to get a either, either they're going to play Vaughn Grissom in, in left field some, or they're going to want to get another a platoon back to go with Kellenic. Kellenic's really not going to hit left-handed pitching, but um, I definitely think that that was a pretty solid trade really honestly for, I mean, it was a great trade for the Braves, I think. And, I mean, the Mariners, I think it's kind of wait and see because all that money they cleared, are they going to be able to turn that into something else? It's, it's kind of what we're waiting to see with, with this. So um, that's that's kind of where the Mariners is to be determined for them. 
Yeah, this screams that Jared Kelenek's going to have a breakout here and fulfill yeah. his prospect status. I mean, that's what it does. And Seattle's been really good at developing pitching. And Jackson Kowar, I mean, not that they need more, but he's a guy that they might be able to develop um, and, and see something there. So uh, let's jump over to the first Yankees trade. Uh, and that is that the Yankees acquired Alex Verdugo from the Boston Red Sox, which was a rare rivalry trade there for uh, Richard Fitz, Greg Weiser, and Nicholas Judas. Um, really just three kind of prospects. This was really the the Red Sox wanting to get out from under the last year of Alex Verdugo. Yeah, so this was kind of an interesting trade as well. Um, you've got, um, you know, for the Yankees, they, they really needed multiple outfielders. And, of course, we'll talk about a, the bigger one that they got later. But Alex Verdugo is a pretty good player. He, he's kind of one of those just solid everyday regulars uh, in the big leagues. Like, he's not going to wow you with anything. He's going to be about a league average hitter and about a league average defender. He's just kind of a fine player. Uh, you know, his own base percentage for his career is about a 340. He does get on base. He doesn't hit for a lot of power. Um, you know, he's kind of an all around, he's kind of an, he's kind of average at everything, which makes him a fairly valuable player, but not something that's like crazy good. Um, and then you look at um, the return for the Red Sox. Richard Fitz is kind of interesting. Uh, he has had a couple of really solid years um, in, in the minor leagues. Actually, I, I, I know a lot about him. He's he's an Auburn guy um, that the Yankees drafted. And this past year in AA, he actually put up a 348 ERA, had over nine and a half strikeouts per nine. Um, you know, he, he's got pretty good stuff. Not not a terrible. He was the number seventeen prospect for the Yankees. He, I, I really think that's a pretty good get for for a one year of Alex Verdugo. And then you had Greg Weissert involved. Um, you know, he's I don't know too much about him. And uh, and then of course Nicholas Judas. I, I don't know too much about him either. But uh, I think Weissert's actually been at the big league level. Um, but you know, he's just been hadn't really done much there. And uh, you know, Nicholas Judas. I think. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't know anything about him at all. So. Yeah. I don't know much on him either. Um, I thought the Verdugo fit was, I thought it was fine at first. And then after the next trade we'll talk about, I think it's kind of weird um, because of the way that it sets up the outfield, but um, let's go ahead and just jump to that one right now. And it's the big one. It's the Yankees acquiring Juan Soto and Trent Grisham from the San Diego Padres for a package of Michael King, Drew Thorpe, uh, Johnny Brito, Randy Vasquez, and Kyle Higashioka. Um, You know, from the Padres side, you know, they get their backup catcher in Higashioka and they badly, badly needed pitching. Now, Michael King was a, he he turned into a starting pitcher, um, you know, later in the season was pretty successful, um, but it's kind of risky at that point. And then Drew Thorpe, Johnny Brito, Randy Vasquez, they're all kind of pitching prospects here that have some upside. Brito's got some time in the major leagues this year. Um, but I, I know it's for one year of Juan Soto, but to me, I feel like this was an incredibly kind of light return considering the the package that I, I know the Padres gave up a couple years ago for him. You weren't going to recover that. But, man, I mean, you're trading Juan Soto, who's a 25-year-old, you know, future hall of famer here. And I don't, I don't really like the return they got. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of disagree with you on that. I, I really do think that this was a, a really solid return for the Padres. And, and the reason for that is, I mean, Juan Soto is, is obviously he's a generational type player. He's, he's not Shohei Otani, but he's really, really, really good. Uh, put up over five war this year and what a lot of people cons- thought he could have been better than that. Um, you know, he, he had a great year, though. Uh, I mean, he's a guy, he's already put up 28 war and he hadn't even hit free agency for the first time yet. Uh, but that's really where the issue lies is he's going to hit free. He's not cheap for one thing. I mean, he's owed $30 million this year and he's also, you know, he's going to hit the free agent market next year. And, you know, you, you know that he's going to do that because of the, he's a Scott Boris client. So, you know, the Yankees, there's no guarantee that he's going to stick with a team. Now, when it comes to the Yankees, they might be able to re-sign him just because, you know, they're able to re-sign players because they got so much money. But, um, you know, it's definitely definitely interesting. But, I mean, he, he'll fit right into the Yankees lineup. He's exactly what they need. They needed somebody that – they needed a really good power bat from the left side. Um, you know, they wanted somebody to pair with Judge. That their offense was really weak. They really needed a plate discipline guy too, because they've been, they've been so strikeout heavy the last few years. And Juan Soto kind of checks all those boxes. Um, so definitely a great, uh, you know, a great, great get for the Yankees to get him. And you know, they did give up a lot. Michael King was has been really, really, really good throughout his career as a reliever. He's got a couple years of control left. Um. I really like him. I, I think the transition to starting pitching is kind of interesting. So I, I'm kind of waiting to see what happens there, but but it's definitely something interesting. Uh, Drew Thorpe is a guy who, you know, he he's performed he performed really well this year in his first minor league season. Put up 100 in 139 innings. He he had you know like a round of two ERA. Um, you know, and he doesn't walk anybody. And gets pretty good strikeout rate. Um, you know, his stuff's not the best stuff, but it's good uh so definitely a good get there he was the number five prospect uh i believe for the yankees and then you look at um johnny brito he pitched at the big league level uh in 2023 some pitched 90 innings he was okay at the big league level uh not not a great you know he's not he's not a what a great prospect he was he was an okay prospect um you know He's kind of a he's 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 definitely depth, good depth, and and then Randy Vasquez is a guy that uh, kind of similar a little bit to um, to Johnny Brito, where he's probably not like some kind of you know like an ace or anything, but I mean he he does have a really really good curveball, and um, you know he's a guy that maybe you can figure something out with, and, and kind of one of those another one of those like he's going to be good organizational depth as a pitcher, and then they needed a backup catcher or really a starting catcher, but they got Kyle Higashioka who will add to their catching situation. They cleared all that money. Um, you know, Trent Gresham going as well. I thought that was kind of weird since they had just gotten Verdugo. Um, but you know, I, I think it cleared a little bit more money for the, for the Padres. Um, it's, it's Trent Grisham's an arb now. And, um, you know, he's a really good defensive player. You know, there might be a little bit more in the bat than he's shown the last couple of years too. So definitely, uh, definitely a good trade. I think, I think the Yankees, I think the Padres probably get out a little bit ahead on value, but you know, when it comes to this year, I mean, Juan Soto is, um, you know, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to pass that up. So. Yeah. I didn't get the, um, you know, it, especially getting Grisham in this deal. I didn't get them completing the Verdugo trade, like right before the Soto trade. I think it was like the day before it was really, everyone thought the Soto trade was going to go down the same night. Um, 
if you were talking Grisham, I don't know why you would just go get Verdugo because then it just allows Grisham to be the center fielder there. I don't feel like Verdugo brings you much more. Like, I don't think it brings you much more and it gives you more risk because you're moving Aaron Judge to center field, which I don't really like for him doing every single day. Um, and I feel like Verdugo and Grisham, like, Verdugo is going to be a little bit more offensively, but he's not as good defensively as Grisham is in center field. Um, where that would just allow Judge to stay in right. But anyways, um, but the Yankees get Juan Soto, and that's that's the big, big deal here, and they're going to have a chance to re-sign him um, going into to next offseason, which is going to be a massive deal. So uh, we'll see. I, I don't really care for it. You you care for it, so we'll see. I think it really depends on how Michael King is as a starter and how he holds up. Um, there's going to be a big, big decision there. Uh, so let's jump over to the Red Sox. After they traded Verdugo, they were in the need for an outfielder, and they jumped to the St. Louis Cardinals and acquired outfielder Tyler O'Neill for uh, relief pitcher Nick Robertson and starter Victor Santos. Yeah, so uh, Tyler O'Neill was definitely an interesting pickup for the Red Sox. It's kind of a change of pace, change of scenery type guy. Um, you know, he had that breakout year in 2021 where he had over five war, a 143 WRC plus. This guy is absolutely jacked. I mean, he is as he's a yep. strong human being as you'll ever see. Um, you know, for his size, pound for pound, and he is. You know, he's had he had that really good 2021. His plate discipline has always been wonky. He's he's always run really high strikeout rates, but it has those have come down some the last couple of years. It just for whatever reason hadn't worked out for him. Uh, he has dealt with injuries a good bit, um, so that might be part of it. But, you know, it's definitely a guy who – he's only a couple years removed from putting up like a – we just mentioned Juan Soto putting up five and a half war last year. I mean, this guy's only a couple years removed from that. So, um, you know, I, I definitely think it's an interesting pickup. And they really didn't give up too much for him. I mean, Nick Robertson's a reliever all the way. Um, you know, he, he's pitched, he pitched a little bit at the big league level this year. He's, he's, he, he had a high ERA, but his peripherals weren't bad at the big league level. Um, you know, he's kind of a depth arm, relief arm. Um, and Victor Santos is kind of similar as, but, but in the starter variety, he just, he, you know, he throws a lot of strikes. Um, but the stuff's not very good. He's a soft tosser. Um, you know, he can get you with a change up every now and then, but not a, not a, you know, neither one of them are really big time prospects. So, uh, definitely, uh, definitely, I think a pretty solid deal for the, for the, for the Red Sox to get Tyler O'Neill, who I, I think he's a free agent after, after this year, maybe. Um, so, I mean, it's only one year, but I mean, he could definitely help your team this year if he clicks. So. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting um, you know change of scenery type guy, and the Red Sox are going to be flirting with that wild card battle here. Um, if you get a guy who is able to break out, you know, like Tyler and Neil did in that twenty twenty one season, it's a big big help to you. And then at the deadline, somebody might if if you're out of it, that you know somebody will look to for to trade for him. So uh, let's jump over to the Braves and Angels. We talked about the Evan White. Kind of, they had, he had already been flipped around already, and the Braves ended up acquiring David Fletcher from the Angels and Max Stassi, who they've already flipped to the White Sox for cash. Um, but the Braves get a kind of utility infielder there, and then the Angels get somebody who can uh, who could potentially be some first base with Jared Walsh. 
Yeah, so, uh, you know, David Fletcher is a pretty good pickup for the Braves, in my opinion, just in the way that they really needed a utility infielder after they got rid of Nicky Lopez in the, uh, in the trade for Aaron Bummer. Um, so they the, – and, and, and David Fletcher can do that. He can play every position on the infield. You know, you don't. I don't think you love to see him at first base, but there's a bunch of other guys you could move to first base. Um, so he's definitely a good. Um, you know, he's a he's a he's a good option uh, for the for the Braves in the infield. And then Max Stassi's a guy who had some hip injuries um, this year, and he also had a really really bad off the field story. Um, there was something I forgot exactly what it was, but he, he I think it, they had a him and his wife had a had a kid that was in the hospital or something. Um, which, you know, just was a really, really tough situation for him this year. So he didn't play much. Uh, he only played – he actually didn't play at all this year. Uh, but in the past, he's been a fine player. He put up three war back in 2021. You know, he's put up close to league average stats at the plate in the past, and he's a pretty good defensive catcher. So uh, he was originally with Houston. I didn't realize he was 33 years old, uh, which is – I, I thought he didn't realize he'd been around that long, but, uh, you know, I think that's a, a good pickup now for the White Sox as the Braves slipped into the White Sox. It was really to take on the salary. And then, uh, you know, the Braves gave the Angels Evan White, who, you know, we were it's funny, we were talking about the Jackson Shurio thing, and Evan White's how that can go bad. Um, Evan yeah. White was one of those guys that signed a deal before they became a big leaguer. I, th- I think him and Scott Kingery were the two really, really bad ones that I remember. And, um, he, uh, you know, he just never worked out. He's dealt with a lot of injuries too, and you know, the Braves flipped him to the Angels, and and then Tyler Thomas is a guy that is just, uh, I don't, I think, the, I don't even know how the Braves got him. He was, he's been with the Cubs, yeah. he's been with the Cubs, the High uh, Rangers, and Mets minor league systems. The Braves might have gotten him as a, um, the Braves might have gotten him in the Rule Five minor league portion. I, th- I think they did. Yeah, so they had just gotten him in the minor league rule five, but he's not really a, a prospect or anything. So, um, no. you know, that this is a really small one. Yeah. Um. So one little other small one, which we can just kind of breeze past. It was the uh, Marlins got Christian Bethencourt for, uh, from the Guardians for cash. They just needed some depth there at catcher. They're they're still in the market there, um, and the Guardians ended up signing I think Austin Hedges too to be their kind of catcher now for whatever. But uh, so anyways, that is kind of all of the transactions that we've had happen since uh, the last time we recorded, obviously about the, uh, we had the emergency episode with Otani. Um, but real quick, before we got out of here, I wanted to, to go over, we've got some more of the details on that Otani contract. We, we were talking on that time that we knew a majority of that contract was going to be, um, deferred. That was what was out there. We weren't sure how much of that deal was going to be deferred. Well, it comes to find out that of his $700 million, Otani's deferring $680 million to the 10 seasons after he's done playing. So for the 10 years that he's with the Dodgers actually playing on the field, he's going to make $2 million a year, um, equivalently a 10 year, 20 million or a 10 year, $20 million deal. Um, so he's able to do that, and the way it actually ends up working for the luxury tax purposes is that the way that that money is calculated at sixty-eight million in twenty was going to be twenty thirty-four technically um, is worth forty-four million dollars today, apparently. Um, 
or, or what it's going that evaluation of is what it's going to be then. So sixty eight million dollars then is going to be worth what forty four million dollars is today, and then the two million dollars um, that he gets. So it's only going to be forty six million dollars against their um, luxury tax, their CBT number for te- the ten seasons that he's there. Um, and also a little interesting note that Tom Verducci wrote last night is that Otani actually put a clause in the contract that basically states that the Dodgers have to use that money that they saved on him to uh, on their CBT number to help upgrade the team. Um, and then whenever that $68 million is, uh, he can be living somewhere else and not get state taxed from it or whatever. Um, so anyways, that, what do you, what do you think of the whole thing? There's been a big controversy around it, but I mean, I, I don't blame him for doing it. Uh, you know, he, he feels comfortable. He's got all these endorsements. Uh, you know, not not getting more than two million dollars from the team right now is not a big deal to him because he's getting paid yeah. so much by like New Balance and stuff. Yeah. Um. So you know, I think he makes someone like forty said, million dollars. I was gonna say, I think field. someone said he's making fifty million dollars anyways per year from that. So that's definitely one one thing that you know it, it, he can. He's got that flexibility. So. And, I mean, it was smart of him and the Dodgers to, to do it that way. I think that this might be something where, you know, the MLB might look at the, that, that rule about how they calculate the, the CBT payroll in the future. Um, you know, obviously they won't do anything about this specific contract, but it does seem like if you're going to have a CBT, you know, it's kind of unfair to to have that as a rule and did not count all the money that's getting paid to somebody. I mean, but, you know, at the same time, like I say, I think that, you know, obviously it was a smart, smart way of looking at it and a good loophole to use. And I mean, it, it helps the Dodgers for sure. I mean, they, you know, that all that money that they were going to be paying over the CBT was, I mean, it, the Dodgers have so much money. It's probably, probably wasn't going to be crippling, crippling, but it was going to be difficult to sign a lot of really good players to, you know, around him and, now it's kind of one of those things where they're they're definitely getting um you know it's definitely gonna be be good for them so uh, definitely interesting I, I I'll be I'll be interested to see if there's any kind of fallout from this in the future uh, see if they change anything well here's so two things the the Dodgers wouldn't have to worry about money their their TV contracts like three hundred and forty million dollars a season anyway so that the TV contract itself pays for what the roster is going to be that year um but as far as like the CBT and that is concerned you're you're never you're not going to see this type of deal hardly ever again like otani's such a rare person because he makes so much money off the field and endorsements where he's still going to be getting paid over 50 million dollars this year you're not like juan soto next year isn't deferring all of this money to to after that like because he's not going to take just two million dollars a year because he's only going to make, be making, I think, like $7 million at that point. I mean, if you include that, he gets $5 million in endorsements. The way that this deferral thing is with Otani, it's, it's a, such a special case. Um, and it has to be collectively bargained. And I don't think it's a big enough chip for the owners to use it to try and hold it out for something that they want. You know what I mean? Like, Or the, the players. Like, I, I don't know that this is going to be a big enough chip within it to to uh be worth bargaining on anything on either side of it like i don't know why it would be a downside for the owners you don't pay the guy right now like what does that care the players like if anything you think the players would be against it because hey that means we're not getting our money right now but the way they look at it is 
that's more money that players can actually get with throughout the league right now than they can later. Like we, we don't care about the later money. We want the now money. So it's going to be weird on that aspect. I, I don't think it's actually as big of a deal as everyone's making it up to be. I think it just was a perfect scenario that happened. And it also happened to be with the Dodgers, even though this entire, this same contract was apparently offered by the giants confirmed by their president of baseball operations today, Farhan Zaidi. We heard the blue Jays offer was, was right in the same ballpark with the same amount of deferrals as as what it was in the Dodgers deal. I think it was a perfect scenario of Otani being the perfect free agent for it with his off the field stuff. And also because it ended up being with the Dodgers. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't disagree at all. I, I think that, I, I think that it was definitely, I don't, I don't think that's a situation that's going to be real common, but like, yeah. but at the same time, you know, I, I think and, that, I think there is uh, something to be said about that, that, that luxury tax and, and the players might not go for that because they hate the luxury well, tax. So any, they want as little money counted toward that as possible. Well, here's but, the thing, too, with the look, with the number he's getting paid, it's still the highest AAV contract oh yeah, in luxury no tax history. Like Forty six million like, a year. I mean, that's yeah. Or oh, oh, I think it's three or four million dollars more than Scherzer, right? Yeah, Scherzer's was forty three million on a three year deal. It's six million dollars more than Aaron Judge's, which was a nine year deal. Yeah. So, like, it's not like he. Yes, it's a bargain in that point, but it's still the biggest AAV hit in league history. Uh, it's just not the $70 million that everyone thought because of the prorated money. It makes the deal basically a 10-year, $460 million deal, which had you said that that was the original money that Otani signed for, I don't think anyone blinks an eye because that's about yeah. what everyone expected he was going to get 400 to $500 million kind yeah. of when the offseason started. Yeah. I so. mean, I was thinking, I think a lot of people were thinking maybe you might end up in that 550 range. So maybe maybe $10 million more counted on the luxury tax, but it's definitely interesting. I, I'm you know, I'm intrigued to see if anything comes out of it. But uh, I mean, good. Yeah. Obviously, if that's the rule right now, good for him and good for the Dodgers. I mean, they figured yeah. it out. They made a good deal. Yeah, it was interesting reading that article because Otani literally said, "Hey, what if I just defer all the money?" And his yeah. agents like, uh, "I never heard of that." And then they found out that he at least has to accept seven hundred and I think forty thousand. He has to accept the league minimum money at least, and they settled on two million dollars, which was funny. But, anyways, we wanted to bring the actual contract to you. Because we said on Saturday we weren't entirely sure, and then once figuring it out, there's been an uproar um, around the league and, and stuff. So wanted to at least bring that and, and hit on the contract totals there. So um, it's going to be interesting here moving forward. Um, we're starting to see some markets pick up. The Yoshinobu Yamamoto market um, has been on fire lately. He's been meeting with teams all week in Los Angeles. Uh, I know he's got a meeting or two scheduled here in the next day or so, apparently, to what uh, has been out there. Um, it wouldn't be surprising to see him pick a team pretty soon either. Um, and then, well, we got the the lead one today. Imanaga's there, but we haven't heard much about him. Um, the trade market seems to be really kind of where it's at, too. Shane Beaver's been mentioned a lot, Tyler Glass now. So um, a lot of moves that can still potentially happen. Um, I think we might come back with an episode next week potentially um so we don't have to record right after christmas we'll we'll figure that out though um and and let you guys know on that point uh so anything else that you want to you want to wrap up on uh, i think that's i think that covers it uh, uh definitely definitely not the busiest two weeks we've ever had but it, it ended up being a pretty busy two weeks uh, as a whole so uh, a lot of moves uh still a lot to go jordan montgomery's still out there in, in addition to yamamoto and 
uh, Blake Snell still out there. And, Cody um, Bellinger. Cody Bellinger still out there. Matt Chapman. Hater. All, Hater. All the all the trade targets potentially. Um, yeah. You know, Cease, Glass now. I actually, uh, you know, speaking of those trade targets, I really like the idea of for, for, for one of these teams that's a contender to go get Shane Bieber. Apparently he's been at driveline this offseason. And yeah. um, I, I think that would be a good one to, 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 for somebody to get. I, I really like what he could maybe bring. He's been yeah. really good before. Um, I would then, not be surprised either. Yeah, and then uh, Glass Nels to let me. I mean, there's there's a lot there's a lot left to go. So definitely going to be keeping us busy here for the next uh, you know couple months. Yeah, absolutely. I think we're about two months from spring training. I believe pitchers and catchers report on the 13th. Today's the 12th of December, so uh, 13th of February. So just about two months until pitchers and catchers report. So still plenty of moves to happen up until that point. And then obviously we'll have all of our uh, our preseason content once once the market kind of settles down. So, But anyways, thank you guys for tuning in to this episode of the Batfoot Podcast, and we'll see you on the next episode.